Brother Johnny was in Bible class, and the teacher had talked about heaven. In fact, the teacher had talked about heaven all through class and talked about how great it was, how wonderful it was going to be. Teacher explained how God would wipe away all tears from every eye. The streets were going to be amazingly paved with gold. There was going to be no night there. The gate would never be closed. And she was talking to these young people and just felt like they were really connecting with her. And at the end of class, she said, Now, class, we've talked all about heaven and how great it's going to be. Who wants to go there? Well, of course, everybody in the class raised their hand except little Johnny. And the class teacher, she was surprised because she felt like she had really gotten the message across. And she said, Johnny, uh, are you okay? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, we've talked about heaven all class period, and we talked about how great it's going to be. And I just asked if you wanted to go there, and you didn't raise your hand to say that you wanted to go there. Why didn't you raise your hand? Do you want to go to heaven? Little Johnny said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, then why didn't you raise your hand? He said, oh, I thought you were getting a bus up to go tonight. (laughs) You know, sometimes we're like that, though, aren't we? We think about heaven. think about how wonderful it's going to be. We think about God being there and there being no need for the sun because God is its light and Jesus being there in fellowship with us. And we think about how great it's going to be. But then if we were to say, are you ready to go tonight? Well, that gets a little bit harder for us, doesn't it? Because we have so many things that we would like to do before that happens, or we would, and we get distracted away from our heavenly home. And so that's what we're going to talk about this evening. How can we focus on what is coming and where we are going instead of where we are now? I want you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 18, but let me tell you a little bit about Philippi before we do. Maybe you'll recall in Acts chapter 16, Paul was on his missionary journey and he was wanting to go into several different places and he wanted to go into Bithynia and the Lord through the Holy Spirit told him no, it wasn't time to go into Bithynia yet. And he had a dream one night and a man from Macedonia was calling him to come over. And we sing a song, I've heard the Macedonian call today, send the light, send the light. Because Paul woke up the next morning and he concluded that God wanted him to go to Macedonia. And he lands in the chief city of Macedonia. And that chief city is Philippi. Well, the special thing about Philippi was that Philippi was a Roman colony. Now, not all the cities and the places that the Romans conquered became Roman colonies. In fact, many of them did not. They just had a Roman governor or something over them, but they retained their citizenship. As far as like Jerusalem, it wasn't a Roman colony. That meant if you lived in Jerusalem and you were a Jew, you weren't automatically a Roman citizen. But Philippi was the chief city of Macedonia. It had been populated by people from Rome in large part, and they were Roman citizens. And they were real proud of that. In fact, so very proud of it they were that often they used that kind of as a badge of honor, as something that they held out to be the epitome of worldly acquisition. I'm a Roman citizen. What are you? And a lot of people weren't Roman citizens. And with Roman citizenship, you had several rights that other people just didn't have. Maybe you'll remember in Acts chapter 22 when Paul is preaching and several people don't like his preaching. And so the 
governor of the area there and the soldiers take Paul and they're about to scourge him, about to whip him. And he asked him a simple question. It's almost like he kind of asked it. Uh, I'm not going to say it smugly, but he says, uh, do you guys whip Romans here that are uncondemned and haven't had a trial yet? You know, kind of throws that in almost as an aside. Is that how you guys do things here? You whip Roman citizens and the, the centurion who hears this says, well, I didn't, I didn't know you were a Roman citizen. And he's concerned, kind of wonders how Paul is a Roman citizen. And he says, I bought Roman citizenship with a whole lot of money. How'd you get it? And Paul said, I didn't buy it. I was born a Roman. Now, if I understand it correctly, that meant that you, as a Roman citizen, your name was registered in Rome. So if anybody wanted to go look you up in Rome, you were on one of the registers as a Roman citizen. It meant you had the right anywhere in the world at the time to appeal to Caesar and you would be shipped to Caesar to have a trial in front of you. You'll recall Paul being captured there and one of the officials saying, hey, why don't I just send you back to Jerusalem and there have a trial? And he said, no, I appeal to Caesar. And he said, okay, you appeal to Caesar, Caesar, you're going. You could appeal to the highest emperor in the land at any time you wanted and you would get shipped back to stand trial because you're a Roman citizen. <coughs> Furthermore, you could not be killed, if I understand it correctly, without your accusers meeting you face to face in a sanctioned lawful assembly and a trial going on and you be found in guilty. Now, you think, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, we don't really think that's a big deal to us here in the United States because we have those same types of citizenship rights. But if the Romans went into Jerusalem and you weren't a Roman citizen and you looked at their dog wrong, they could kill you on the spot without a trial and they would not be doing anything illegal. But if you were a Roman citizen and they killed you on the spot without a trial, then that Roman official lots of times would be brought before a tribunal and he would be executed or removed from his governorship. You see, being a Roman citizen carried with it a very heavy load of things that were exciting to have. And the people in Philippi, well, they're real proud of the Roman citizenship. And so Paul is talking to them about this pride that they have in their Roman citizenship. There's a church there at Philippi. That's the letter to the Philippians. It's written to that church. It's a wonderful church. In fact, one of the churches that supported Paul throughout his whole ministry. And he says there in verse 18, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, we've got a group of people here, sadly, when I talk about them, it makes me so sad that I have to tell you about this group of people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I think you and I all would agree. That's not the category you want to be in, an enemy of the cross of Christ. And when you think of people who would be enemies of the cross of Christ, well, probably if I were to say, hey, can you think of somebody who's an enemy of the cross of Christ? Number one, you probably don't think of yourself. And number two, you probably think of the, the worst people. Now put the, that word worst in, in quotation marks. You think of the worst people. I mean, you're talking the murderers. You're talking the prostitutes. You're talking the thieves and the drug dealers and the child abusers and the people that 
are on the news, on the front page of the paper, the people that are in that little magazine that sells for a dollar at your gas station that have just gotten arrested in your town, that's the people you're thinking of as enemies of the cross of Christ. But now let's say, see who Paul says is an enemy of the cross of Christ. He said these people, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. Okay, so, so what's so bad about these people? Their end is destruction. They're going to hell. Their God is their belly. All they ever do is think about their physical stuff. Their God is their physical body. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. And then here's the punchline. Here's why these people are so bad. Who set their minds on earthly why they're so bad. They set their mind on earthly things. Well, hold on. What, what about them being murderers? What about them being thieves and child abusers? No, no. These people in this particular group whose end is destruction, whose God is about, whose glory is in their shame, their crime is all they ever do is think about here and now. Earthly. You know people like that. They're not bad people. When I say not bad people, what I mean is you, you're not going to find them in the prison. Probably haven't done anything that is even arrest worthy. It's just those kind of people that if you get in a conversation with them, they can talk to you about, about their truck. They can talk to you about hunting. They can talk to you about the clothing sale down at Dillard's or Belk. They can talk to you about... The weather, they can talk, but that's as far as the conversation really goes. It can't go any deeper because they just don't think about spiritual things. All they think about is what's right in front of them. You say, it's pretty sad. Isn't it? it is. It's pretty sad. But let's think about a day that we might wake up in the morning. Oh, it's going to be a productive day. You know, one of those where you write a list out. You write that list out and there's 27 different things on that list. And if you're anything like me, you write a list where there's 27 different things and you're going to get to about four of them. But you write them out anyway and you got them all on there. When you need to mow the grass and you need to go to Walmart and you're going to mow the grass at like one or two because it's going to be drier then. It's not going to clump up. And to mow the grass, you got to get some gas because you forgot that you ran it almost to empty last time and it got stopped right in the middle of the yard and you had to haul that can all the way to the middle of, okay, so you're going to get gas. Well, if you're going to get gas, you might as well go to Walmart where you're at it. And so you start writing a list of what you're going to get at Walmart. And if you guys are anything like me, you want your wife to go to Walmart because she has the location of the items memorized per aisle in the store. And us guys do not. And so I'll have a list of 10 things. My wife has a list of 10 things. She writes them down in the order that she comes to them on the little Walmart track. I write them down the order they come into my mind. That means I make 12 trips across the store to get 10 items and have to ask people three or four times where this is. Now, what I always do is find a lady there who is about 50 years old and has a little list, and I go to her and I say, can you tell me where the strawberry jello is? And she says, yes, right there to the left on aisle 32. And I say, thank you very much. And finally, I get all my stuff. 
Right, so you've got all these things that you can do. Oh, and then you've got the kids that you're dropping them off at this practice, and then they've got this that they're going to, and you've got to make sure that you get stuff for dinner, and so then you've got to get home and cook dinner, and then you... Has it ever been a case where you've gotten to the end of your day? You've brushed your teeth, you've done your nightly routine, and you pillow your head and you realize, you know, today... I didn't think one thing about God. I didn't think one thing about spiritual living. It was all just physical. Now, you know, you look at that and you think, well, uh, the song that came on the radio, if it had a bad word, I turned it. I didn't think about bad stuff. I didn't do anything bad. I didn't steal anything. Didn't punch anybody in the face. Didn't get any grotesque fits of road rage and try to run anybody off the road. I just thought about physical stuff all day long. I, I, for years, have thought about that Philippians passage where he's talking about where these people are going and how bad they are, and the punchline is they think about stuff that's on this earth. Now, if you listen to your reading in Colossians there, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, set your mind on things above where Christ is who is our life? You see, the irony of setting your th mind on things on earth is that you think you're thinking about stuff of this life. You're getting food. You're buying your clothes. You're getting your house where you want it and how you want it. You think you're thinking about life. But you're not thinking about real life. Because Christ, who is our life, is where our minds ought to be set. Now, let's look at the rest of this Philippian passage. They set their minds on this earth. And then he goes to verse, what, 19 there, and he says, or 20, and he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now what's the play here? Philippians, you're real proud of your citizenship here in the Roman nation. And you think about it, you talk about it, you got all the privileges of citizenship. But our citizenship, when he says our, who's he talking about? Christian citizenship is in heaven from which we... Now look at that phrase. That next, next word. From which we eagerly wait. For our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you eagerly wait for your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come and transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the effective working by which He is able to even subdue all things to Himself? Do you eagerly wait for Jesus? You see, it's, it's like that little Johnny story. Oh, he... He's waiting to go to heaven, but just not right now. He's not real eager about it. What's the thing that, in your mind, when you've seen in your experiences, is the most anticipated, eagerly waited for event of the year? Now, at my house, if you've got kids, you know exactly what the most anticipated, eagerly waited for event of the year. There's actually two. One of them is a communal, anticipatory, and 
anticipated, eagerly waited for event, which is Christmas. The other is an individual birthday. And so my kids, throughout the entire year, think about what they're going to ask for for Christmas. And so they see something that they want, and they say, okay, hey, for Christmas, Dad, I'm going to ask for this. And now it starts months in advance. I mean, I'm talking, well, I think it was just yesterday, my daughter said, hey, for Christmas, I would like this new screen on my phone, and that's about the 12th time I've heard something for Christmas. Now, it changes periodically, but anticipating, and then you think about when it gets closer to time. Maybe you've got those little kids, and you've talked up Christmas, and you're thinking about Christmas morning, and those little kids are in their bed, and they are waiting for the next morning, and they have such excitement in their lives about what they're going to see underneath that tree the next morning. And it's an eager anticipation for something that's going to happen to them in the future. Do you think they think about their presence under a tree? Have you ever had to tell your children, okay, think about it all you want, but stop talking to me about it? Because my kids will talk to me about what they're going to get or maybe get or would want, etc. And they'll just go over and over and over and they'll think about it and they'll think, okay, when I get this, we can play in the playroom, we can do this with it. And they'll talk all about it because they're thinking about it. They're waiting for it. They're eagerly anticipating it. And you see, the Philippians, that was their life. He said, these people are Roman citizens, basically, and they've got a citizenship in Rome, but our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question comes to us this evening. Are we eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ? Now he goes on to tell you why these Philippians were eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body. And then he says, and he tells you basically, hey, we know Jesus can do this because he can, it will transform into his glorious body according to the effective working by which he is able to subdue even all things to himself. He was resurrected, and that's the guarantee that you will be too. Now you think about this. I don't know what your vehicle situation is like. Let's say you've got a, a real old vehicle. In fact, let's say you had a, I don't know, a, a 2005 Chevrolet Suburban that had 286,000 miles on it. That was your mother's at one time, and she drove about 40,000 miles a year, and she put lipstick on all the time, and that lipstick had kind of gotten all up on like the roof of the vehicle somehow, you don't even know, and the... If you've ever driven like a, a Chevrolet Suburban or truck, you know that if it has a leather seat, that if you get in and out and in and out, that leather rips on the left side of the seat. And so the seat is now all ripped, and maybe, maybe you've hit a deer with it a time or two, and the front is all jammed up, and the radio, when you put CDs in it, but yeah, it doesn't. It's supposed to be like a six CD changer, and it's like a one CD song. You can put it. It's like eats them. It eats the CD. I don't know if you've got a vehicle like that. Let's say you do. And incidentally, 
the engine is blown out, one of the cylinders doesn't work, but it still drives, so you still kind of drove it. Okay, you've got this vehicle that you wish you could have a new one. And you were expecting, in fact, a very good hope. Someone has assured you that they're buying you a new vehicle for Christmas. Brand new 2019 Chevy Suburban, if you like a Suburban, whatever it is you've got, just put, plug it in. I check on these at the Chevy place the other day. They were running about 85 grand. So this will probably never happen to any of us, at least certainly not me. But let's just hypothetically work with me. You're expecting a brand new one and you're eagerly waiting for that old Suburban. Now, in this sense, the illustration falls apart but to be transformed into this new one where the CD changer works and the leather is still intact and there are no stains on the thing and all eight cylinders hit when you press the gas. Now, you take that to to this body, to your physical body. Peter calls it this tent. And we're going to get to that idea in just a minute, this tent, but... You know, this body, it's wearing down, isn't it? The other day, my uh, son and I were, well, I'm, I'm relocating where I live. I've lived in Florence, Alabama for about nine years. I'm going to Columbia, Tennessee, where my family lives. Still going to be doing the Apologetics Press stuff, all the same things that I do, just getting closer to family. And my son is 14 years old now, and so I hadn't really had to get any other help to help move, I, I thought. I hadn't needed any other help. I would just get him and myself. And sometimes that means I'm doing all the walking backwards and I'm carrying the heavy end of whatever piece of furniture it is. Well, of course, the other day, I had been carrying these boxes and heavy, and my back was out, and I was walking real funny. It's got this pain in my back. And, I, you know, it just hurt for about three days. I could hardly sit upright. You ever had anything like that? Your back hurt? You get headaches? I talked to a, a guy today. His son had a great job. And he gets migraines and he lost his job because he's missing so much work at, at the place where he was employed because he got migraines all the time. Your body wears down. It doesn't work like it used to. I talked to another one of my buddies. I was asking him if he played any basketball. He said, well, I was playing some basketball. He's about my age, he says. But, you know, the last time I was playing basketball, these young 18, 19, 20-year-olds were playing. And he said, one of them was driving right at me and I told my body to move over. And it just, it, it just didn't really move over. And he said, you know what? I just, once your body quits doing what you, what you think it should be doing, you just kind of quit that sport. He said, I hadn't played in a long time. You know, your body is just, it's wearing down. Uh, the, I got some friends, they're about four or five years older than me and right about in the mid-40s. You know what happens in your mid-40s to your eyesight? I, I let my buddy, I say, hey, he'll show me something on his phone and, He'll try to read it, and I'll say, hey, you want me to hold that for you? Right here, read it right there. He can read it now, what, 10 feet away, better than he could read it up close. You know, stuff just wears down. And here's what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3. He says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ who's going to take this old body we've got and transform it into his glorious body. No, he's going to do that because the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So he's going to give you a new body 
And the reason he's going to give you a new body, you know, you take it, uh, let me tell you something else about that old suburban. It leaked oil like nobody's business. In fact, it, you had to change it. You, had to, you didn't change the oil. You didn't really even need to change it because you had to put so much oil into it that it just ran through it. And so you had new oil every two or three months. Uh, and I'll tell you what, it really did a great job on the garage floor. Uh, beautiful garage. And when I would pull that Suburban out, it got to, the reason I had to get rid of it, because it got to where you would pull it up and like in the shape of the undercarriage of the Suburban, you would just have an oil shape. It wasn't an oil drip. It was an oil shape in the shape of the Suburban. Now look, if I go over to somebody's nice house and they've got beautiful, clean concrete outside, my oil-carriage Suburban is not welcome on their concrete. Because once you leak oil on that kind of concrete, it never comes out. Flesh and blood doesn't go into heaven. It's not welcome there. It doesn't fit. It can't last. This body that you've got is not going. It's got to be transformed to a new, glorious body. And so you get this new glorious body, and not only do you have a new body, but then you get a new home. Why don't you turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at this idea of a new home. You see, Hebrews chapter 11 is basically a discussion of people who refuse to get distracted from their heavenly vision. You look in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11. You see in the Faith Hall of Fame, the Bible says, Now these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims, on this earth. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Okay, this hall of faith. What is it about these people that makes them so faithful. Well, what, is it, what it is about the people is that they look through the physical to the eternal and refuse to feel at home in the physical. You see, it says they looked to a homeland and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims here on this earth. And you know what a pilgrim it's passing through. Not going to be there for long. Not setting up permanent residence, just camping for a while. Think about this. You've got a person, they're going on a trip. It can be a three-day trip. And let's say they're going over to Nashville and they've always liked the Holiday Inn Express. And so they call up the Holiday Inn Express and they say, Hey, need a room for two nights. It's going to be a three-day trip. I'm going to be there these dates. And... They give you the reservations, and you go. You go to the Holiday Inn Express, and you get there, and you have always really liked the Holiday Inn Express, and you go into your room, and you start looking at your room, and you start thinking, you know what? I've always really liked hardwood floors. And this carpet in this hotel room 
just not really to my liking. And so I'm going to, to, to put some hardwoods down. And so you call somebody up that morning and you find somebody that puts hardwoods down to $1.52 a square foot laid for you. And so you call them up and you get hardwood put in your Holiday Inn Express. And then you start looking at the pictures. You know, you've always kind of been a, a art fan and the pictures there look like they're just cookie cutter art that's been stamped out of some factory somewhere, probably worth five bucks a, a picture. And you think, I need some real character to the art here. And so you call around and you get you some real nice art that you put on the walls, and then you start looking at the light fixtures, and you say, man, those light, you get those, I don't like those light fixtures. And so you start changing the light fixtures. How long are you going to be here? Two days. You're going to be in this hotel room. Two days. So you get the people to come in, they put the hardwood floors, change the light fixtures. you got some nice pictures of art on the wall that you really like, and you think, you know what, never liked those water fixtures since I've been here the last two days. I'm going to get me some new Delta water fixtures. You put you some new Delta water fixtures in there, and then you go to the furniture store, and you buy your all-new furniture for your little hotel room because you don't like the way the couch looks, and you want a solid leather couch, and so you buy this leather couch, and you dress this room all up perfectly for you to live for how long? Two days. Now how much sense does that make? If you saw somebody putting in hardwood floors at a place they were going to stay for two days, what would you think about that person? You are crazy. You don't put hardwood in a floor hotel room that you're going to be gone from in two days. And yet, we kind of do that all the time. We live here. We want stuff here to be just right. And so we get our retirement portfolios and we start collecting and organizing and make sure everything's going to be just right. And we get our houses all taken care of and we get our hardwood floors and our carpet and we think about where we want our kids to go to school and what kind of clothes we want to wear and what kind of vehicles we want to drive. And we think about all the things that this life has to offer and we forget that we're strangers and pilgrims here. We think we live here. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Here's the question. Do you feel at home here? Are you eagerly waiting for something else? Or have you been distracted from the heavenly realm where you're really a citizen? You see, the contrast to that. You read it right there in Hebrews chapter 12. I think it's so very interesting that the Hall of Fame of Faith is right there in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks to you all about these people like Abraham who, you know, the Bible says left where the Lord called him and went out and traveled through the land of Canaan. He didn't have a place even to set his foot. He didn't own anything. He, imagine just being in a tent and picking it up every now and then and going a few more hundred yards or a few more miles and setting it back down and then three weeks later picking it up and going some... He understood strangerness, didn't he? And then you get the contrast to that. You've got this guy right here in verse 15 of chapter 12. You'll know him. You've read his story a million times. That's hyperbole, but work with me. Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God... 
the same root of bitterness, springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be a fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought diligently with tears. You got the exact opposite. You got Esau. These people, the Hall of Fame of Faith, they see the inheritance that they got in heaven and they give up all the physical stuff of the world for that vision of what they've got in heaven. Esau has a spiritual inheritance through Christ ultimately and he gives up all that spiritual inheritance in Christ for what? Okay, now this story tries to make you understand how insignificant the swap was. And here's what it says. For a tiny morsel of food. He didn't even get a full meal. He didn't even get a steak dinner. He got a bowl of bean soup. Why? Because he was distracted from the heavenly vision. All he could see was what was right in front of him. Was in Montgomery several years ago, and there was a young man in Montgomery. I think at the time he was about 15. I was about 23 or so. And he was shooting ball outside the apartment complex where my wife and I were living. And I thought I'd go out there. We had set up some Bible study some at the apartment complex. And I always, you know, tried to talk to people about their spiritual condition and God and what they thought about Jesus, the afterlife, things like that. So I go and I'm shooting basketball with this guy. And like I said, he's about 15. He cusses. He's very worldly in a lot of ways. And I start talking to him about his soul and just say, hey, have you thought about your soul? And he says, what do you mean by that? I said, you know, you've got something that's going to live on after this life. It's going to live through eternity. you ever give that any thought? And he said, no, I don't ever give that any thought. I said, well, well, how much sense does that make if you've got something that's going to live for eternity and you're only going to be here for a few years and you don't think about eternity, does that make much sense to you? He says, yeah, it makes sense to me. I said, uh, I said, let me try to illustrate this. I said, let's say that I gave you $5. Now, I remember this very clearly. I, was try- I thought this illustration would really help him see. I said, let's say I gave you $5. And I said, tomorrow, if you will hold that $5 when you come back, if you'll give it back to me, I'll give you $100. Now, I thought this was a no-brainer, really. I thought everybody's going to answer, yeah, hold the money for five for." 24 hours, you hold the five bucks, you get the hundred bucks later. I said, what would you do? I said, would you spend that five bucks or would you hold it for 24 hours and get a hundred? You don't have to do any work for it. Just hold it. Here's what he said. He said, I'd spend the five bucks. I said, you'd spend the five bucks? He said, yeah, I'd spend the five bucks because five bucks you got right now is a whole lot better than anything you might have in the future. You know, it doesn't make sense at all when you put it in an illustration like that. Everybody recognizes you don't spend the five bucks. You hold it and you get a hundred. And yet, so many of us, we get distracted from that heavenly vision and we start just looking at what's right in front of us. The ball game right in front of us. The rent right in front of us. The sickness right in front of us. 
And we just can't see past it. Because we're so distracted by what's right in front of us. There's a research that was done on rats. I think this has been repeated several times in different ways. They put rats in a cage and they put them where there are two bars. Excuse me. <coughs> Each of the bars they can press with their four feet, their four paws. One bar, when they press it, one tiny piece of food pops out every time. Rat presses the bar, a tiny, tiny piece of food pops out. Tiny morsel of food pops out. They press it in, tiny morsel of food. Press it in, tiny. Every time they press it, the littlest piece of food you can imagine pops out. The other bar, they press it, nothing. They press it, nothing. Press it, nothing. They press it four times in a row in a huge, massive pile of as much food as they can eat drops into the cage. What do the rats do? Every single one of the rats presses the bar where one tiny, tiny piece of food pops out and they have to press the bar hundreds of times to get food that would compare to the pile that drops out by pressing this other bar four times you just have to wait. Eagerly wait. Do you know why Paul could say that he was eagerly waiting for Jesus? He had seen him. He had seen Jesus in his new resurrected body and he knew that's what he was going to to get. We have that fact verified by the most historically accurate, the most inspired book ever written so that there is no possible room for doubt that that body is the resurrected body that will live in heaven eternally if we will eagerly Boy, she talked to that class all about heaven. Talked about how you could go there. She said, do you want to go to heaven? And all of them raised their hand except one. Little John. Because he thought they were leaving tonight. What about you? What if we are leaving tonight? What if this evening is the last chance on this physical earth that you have to prepare yourself for the heavenly home. Are you ready? Do you eagerly wait for your Lord Jesus Christ? Have you become a Christian? Been buried into the body of Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, confessing your belief in Christ, being buried in water baptism for the forgiveness of those sins? Are you living your life knowing that there's something better coming. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, I hope you will, as we stand and as we sing.